0: Michelle and I'm Lucy.
1: Welcome to another Tudor cameo episode. These very short episodes will be slotted in between the normal ones and will cover those characters who made a fleeting yet tantalizing appearance in other episodes. We don't always have a lot of information about them so they can't have a full episode on their own but they are too interesting to abandon completely and they help fill in the gaps and enable us to create as full a picture of the era as we can. And today Sir James Tyrrell.
0: Dun, dun, dun. Well, well, this was the man who, as we all know, murdered the princes in the Tower. Yes. Well, he was born around 1455. His father, William, was beheaded in 1462. <laughs> That's a way to start the episode. <laughs> Death. <laughs> well, this was at the same time as John and Aubrey de Vere. Our John de Vere's father and brother. Right. Do you, do you remember they were... Indicted um, for a plot to kill King Edward IV. Fourth, yes. And it was really weird because he'd never shown any interest in politics at all no. throughout his entire life. And William was caught up in the same yeah. scandal. Is it a scandal? Probably a bit more than a scandal when you try and, you try and kill somebody. Plot. Yeah, he wasn't attainted. And his eldest... Well, he was dead. <laughs> his <laughs> eldest son wasn't attainted. And his eldest son and heir's wardship and the custody of his lands were granted to Cecily Neville, And Cecily sold the wardship and custody to William Tyrrell's widow in March 1463 for 50 pounds. I wonder if that was an act of kindness, selling her son back to her. her.
1: I think it would be. That would be a mother desperately
0: trying to keep her family. Mm. What a bizarre situation But it's an act of kindness for someone to sell you your own child. And, well, an act of kindness would have been just
1: to give it to her. But the 50 pounds is quite low.
0: Hmm. Oh, yeah, usually you're usually talking of a thousand, two thousand, don't you Yes. Henry Tudor was a thousand.
1: Yes,
0: I assumed it was being nice, but I didn't seem it just doesn't seem it now, does it?:
1: Yeah, why not for free?
0: Maybe it was a legal thing, maybe it's required, but then you could do I'm it not for a while have... yeah, That was a lot of money back then. hmm, especially for a widow, well, I suppose if her husband hadn't been attainted, she might not be on the bread line. Well, she'd be on the dowry.
1: She'd be Mm. on the dower lands and with her dower rights and allowance. But still, it's not half as much as what she normally would have been living off of.
0: Still, nice she got her son back. Yes. In 1469, Tyrrell married Anne Arundel, the daughter of John Arundel of Lanherne, with whom he had three sons and a daughter, so here's another one marrying into the Arundel family. What? Were the Arundels thinking all of these were strategically... I'm not sure, because we had Henry Bodrigan and yeah. then James Tyrrell. Um, Richard Namfan's mum was an Arundel. Maybe they just had a ton of girls. Yes, They're maybe. being
1: spread out because they have so many.
0: Yeah, maybe it's like Pride and Prejudice. They're just desperate to <laughs> them off on people. <laughs> they felt that all these people must be in need of a wife (laughs) (laughs) it's thought that in these early years James Tyrrell assumed various minor duties for John de la Pole Senior Ah. whose principal seat was nearby James Tyrrell was a Yorkist and he fought at the Battle of Tewkesbury in 1471 after which he, he was knighted by Edward IV and he entered the service of Richard Duke of Gloucester so he was in his service before Richard became king Okay. When Richard took the throne, Tyrrell was made High Sheriff of Cornwall and would have been there at the same time as Richard Namfan was in the Commission of Peace for Cornwall. The fact that he was in the Duke of Gloucester's service implies that Richard didn't hold it against Tyrrell, that his father had tried to murder Richard's brother. Oh. They do seem to be remarkably forgiving in many ways yes. don't they, at this time.
1: Which is, I don't expect that of Richard, considering he just summarily executed the Duke of Buckingham. Hmm. It seems out of character.
0: Tyrrell was very young at the time, I suppose. maybe that's it. Too Mm. young to be involved. Uh, Presumably, because in fact he was given the task of accompanying Richard's widowed mother-in-law, the Countess of Warwick, north to Middleham from the sanctuary at Mm. Beaulieu Abbey. Although I can't think that Richard could have been that much bothered if something had happened to his mother-in-law. No. Since later on, he made her sort of undead, didn't he? he was, <laughs> she was still alive. But as far as her finances were concerned, she was dead.
1: Yes, she had nothing. Mm. They took everything from her and declared her dead when she was alive. I still don't know how you can do that.
0: No. And look at your wife in the, in the face as you do Yes,
1: unless the wife hated her mother. Maybe. In
0: 1474, he was one of the challengers at a tournament held at the creation of Edward's little son, Richard, as Duke of York. And that's the one that was later murdered in the tower, ostensibly by Tyrrell himself. (laughs) (laughs) The following year, he was with the King's army during the war with France. That wasn't. (laughs) Remember, um, Edward did a Henry and went into France and didn't quite have a war. He was probably in the retinue of the Duke of Gloucester and he later accompanied Richard on his Scottish campaign. He was appointed Commissioner in Suffolk in 1475-6, to Sheriff of Glamorgan in 1477 and Member of Parliament for Cornwall in 1478. Wow, he's doing pretty good for himself. He, he certainly is. After the summary execution of Lord Hastings and the arrest of other suspected conspirators, Richard temporarily placed Archbishop Rotherham in Tyrrell's custody. He was one of the other people that were in that room when right. Richard rushed in and said these are you're all traitors. Yeah. He was at Richard and Anne's coronation in fourteen eighty three. He was made master of the horse and master of the king's henchmen, and henchmen isn't didn't have the same meaning that would have today quite.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what were they then?
0: I presume they were protectors, but they weren't henchmen now are sort of people you go you send out to Thugs. Look after people, yes. Yes. (laughs) What a diplomatic way of putting it. Look after people. Following the rebellion of the Duke of Buckingham, with which, I don't know why I keep putting her in, Margaret Beauford was so (laughs) involved, Tyrrell arrested Buckingham and took him to Salisbury for execution. Three days later, he was made Commissioner of Array for Wales and before the year's end was appointed Steward of the Duchy of Cornwall for life. When one of the Arundel family were attainted following the Buckingham Rebellion, Tyrrell was given all his land.
1: Wait, he was given their land, not
0: his own—the the Arundel yes. land. Yes. Wow. Through a daughter. And in September 1484, he was made one of the Chamberlains of the Exchequer. So life is good when you're a Yorkist. Yes. And and so's the king. Yes. And then. <laughs> Well, towards the end of 1484, a docket book of Richard's Privy Seal said, said cryptically, quote, This right trusty knight for our body and counsellor was sent over the sea into the parties of Flanders for diverse matters concerning greatly our weal. Needless to say, there have been many speculations as to what these diverse matters could have been. Mm-hmm. Spiriting the princes of the Tower away to Europe? When one of them would reappear later in the form of Perkin Warbeck? Possibly. Mm. In January 1485, so we're creeping up, Tyrrell assumed command of the garrison of Geens Castle. And that's G U I S N E S. And I'm going with Geens because that's what Google Translate said it was. (laughs) (laughs) I looked it up. Because we come across it quite often and we've never. Yeah, it's not Guinness. He was there in August and so didn't fight at Bosworth. And Richard didn't recall him, even though he was commissioner of array for Wales. But as we saw long, long ago in Jasper's episode, I think it was, Richard thought that Henry was going to arrive at Milford near Southampton. Okay. Because there was some prediction that he was going to arrive there. Of course there was. Mm. Because he hadn't been at Bosworth, Tyrrell wasn't attainted. And in fact, he suffered considerably less than other Yorkists although he doesn't seem to have been invited to Henry's coronation, and he lost his posts in Wales. However, Henry VII reappointed Tyrrell, Governor of Keynes, in 1486. Hmm. And in 1486, Tyrrell returned to England when he was summoned as a witness in a dispute concerning the Countess of Oxford's lands, allegedly coerced from her by Richard. Because we saw that sorry episode in John De Vere's episode when... Uh, Richard threatened to lock the old woman up if she didn't hand her money over. Yep. Alleg- allegedly. Yep. When Tirol returned to England, he was pardoned by Henry Seventh on the 16th of June and was pardoned again on the 16th of July. So, why twice? I don't know. Why? Mm. Do we well, know? According- well, <laughs> do we know anything with these things? But according to Sir Clements Markham, it was between these two dates that the princes in the Tower were murdered which puts the murder firmly in Henry's reign. And that second pardon was for services rendered, shall we say. Oh. And I looked up Sir Clements Markham. He was an explorer, not a historian, so I'm not sure how much weight we can give to his opinion, really. Oh. But he was convinced that the murder happened in Henry's reign.
1: I wonder where he gets his information.
0: Hmm don't know in february Tyrrell was restored as sheriff of glamorgan and appointed constable of cardiff castle and in december 1486 tyrell was sent from guines on an embassy on behalf of henry to maximilian he attended the coronation of elizabeth of york in 1487 he fought at the battle of dixamood in 1489 which if you remember from maximilian's episode was when maximilian aided by 6,000 of Henry's men under Lord Dobney, right. won a victory for Brittany against France. Yes. As captain of Guines, Tyrrell took part in the negotiations leading to the Treaty of Etaple in, in June 1492. He participated in a tournament celebrating the creation of Prince Henry as Duke of York in 1494 and again during the festivities marking the arrival of Catherine of Aragon in England in 1501. He's quite involved. Henry obviously entrusted trusted him implicitly, yes, however, as we've seen again and again in Henry's reign, that trust was misplaced. oh dear, Tyrrell sided with Edmund de la Pole, yes, and he allowed Edmund and his brother, or possibly nephew, Richard, to stay at Gines right, but we don't
1: we don't have where he turned. Or is this where it's determined that he turned? In my head, when I was doing the Edmund de la Pole, he was already friends with Tyrell. I I got the feeling, I didn't find anything written that they had agreed to this before they made their moves. So this is his first outward treasonous act or suspicious act, but I felt like it had been building up
0: to it. Well, judging by all the posts that Tyrell's been given... Nobody else thought he was going to do that, but then nobody right. thought John de La Pole was going to, did they? True. I don't know. What could... one source I read just implied that Edmund and Richard just sort of knocked on the door, and Edmund and Tyrrell said, "Well, you better stay here then." But yeah. I think it's more than that because I think Tyrrell actually helped with the escape. Hmm. This news reached Henry, who demanded Tyrrell return to England. Of course. And this Tyrrell declined to do.
1: Not a good idea.
0: So Henry sent troops to besiege the castle of Geens. Oh, no. And Tyrrell was eventually lured out on the promise of safe passage, guaranteed by the privy seal. Liars! He was then arrested. (laughs) (laughs) And his son Thomas was forced to surrender the castle. So Tyrrell, his eldest son Thomas, a retainer named Christopher Wellesbourne, Sir John Wyndham and, quote, an unnamed sailor, unquote, were charged with treason. And I think I might look up Sir John Wyndham for a cameo episode since my daughter's local pub is called the Wyndham Arms. Oh, that would be neat. Might be a link, link. Yeah. The historian David Starkey claimed that both the king and queen were present throughout the trial. But then Rosemary Horrocks said that they were lodged at the tower during this time and the trial didn't take place in the tower. But I couldn't really see there was a dichotomy. I'm not allowed out of the tower. They're not prisoners. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they could they could easily get to the Guildhall to watch the trial. But if that's true, why did they take such an interest in this particular trial? Was it to do with oh. Henry's obsession with Edmund? Did he want to know all the facts so he knew how to chase him? Or was it because he wanted to make sure that Tyrrell didn't tell the court that he'd only admitted to the murder of the princes under torture? Hmm. That's quite unlikely. Tyrrell was only on trial purely for his role in the Dillapol brothers' escape. I'm not aware that the murder of the princess was ever even mentioned at the trial.
1: Okay. Yeah, then why was Henry there?
0: Because he wasn't there for if he a lot was of there. other trials. Yeah, true. And this is just David Starkey. Tyrrell and Wyndham were tried, convicted and beheaded on May the 6th, 1502. According to sources, he was not allowed or declined to make the customary final speech from the scaffold. And if he was not allowed to make a speech, why was he not allowed to make a speech? Right. Could it be that he'd recant all that he admitted under torture? But then again, we're back with the thing that nobody was interested in that. They were only interested in his Edmund de la Pole thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, his son Thomas and Wellesbourne were imprisoned and the poor unnamed sailor was hanged, drawn and quartered. Oh, geez, right. I remember, Mm. and he wasn't even named. (laughs) That's the ultimate awful. Thomas Tyrrell received a king's pardon in April of 1504. Tyrrell was buried in Austin Friars, where, incidentally, Perkin Warbeck was buried, and also, incidentally, where Thomas Cromwell lived later on. Hmm. So that was his life. He seems to be doing very well under Henry. Uh, Presumably, he thought he could do better under Edmund. Maybe. Or is that just... Yorkist sympathies run deep. So he wasn't executed. Tyrrell was. Yes, he was beheaded.
1: Yeah. Who were you just talking about going off to?
0: Oh, he was buried buried in Austin Fries.
1: Okay. It sounded almost like the way you put it to
0: me <laughs> oh, sounded he's... like
1: he survived and then died later.
0: Okay. No, 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 no. Nope, that thinking was that's a
1: lucky escape.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry, everybody. I obviously <laughs> missed the point there. <laughs>
0: No, no lucky escape for him. But the main mystery surrounding Sir James Tyrrell was A. Did he kill the princes in the tower? And B. Did he confess to the murder? Hmm. The first time Tyrrell is linked with the disappearance of the princes is ten years after his death in 1512 in the Great Chronicle of London. Quote, But howsoever they were put to death, certain it was that before that day they were departed from this world, Of which cruel deed, Sir James Tyrrell was reported to be the doer. But others put that weight upon an old servant of King Richard's named, unquote. Oh, (laughs) they don't give you the name? Doesn't say. Nope. Ah. So Tyrrell suspected, but then so are others. In the Anglica Historia, Polydor Virgil, writing four years later than that, also claims that Tyrrell was the killer. Yes. But apparently, that he was reluctant to do it, he rode sorrowfully into London to carry out his orders. And Virgil adds, quote, "With what kind of death these silly—that means innocent—these silly children were executed, it is not certainly known." Unquote. And apparently, Tyrrell did ride into London at that time, September fourteen eighty-three, and he was following Richard's orders. But he wasn't necessarily sorrowful. <laughs> Both Polydore, Virgil, and Thomas More knew that he had been in London in early September and assumed he had been there to kill the princes, yeah, but the real reason was a bit more prosaic. He had been told to collect clothes from the Royal wardrobe, including for himself and the King's henchmen, and to take them to York for the investiture of the Prince of Wales on oh. September the eighth, and that was Edward and Middleham, Richard and Anne's son yes, so, so he's being accused of killing princes, and he's just picking, picking up, up some clothes. clothes for the king. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Virgil was obviously in two minds about what happened to the boys, since he later wrote that it was generally reported and believed, quote, that the sons of Edward IV were still alive, having been conveyed secretly away and obscurely concealed in some distant region, unquote. So some people are saying that Tyrrell killed them. Some people are saying that Tyrrell whisked them away. Which is where so, we get Perkin Warbeck and Lambert yeah.
1: Simnel being possible.
0: Yeah. And some people say. Tyrell? Who's Tyrell? Yes. (laughs) There's an entry in the Harleian Manuscript 433, and the Harley Library is a collection of over 7,000 manuscripts in the British Library. And this refers to a journey to Flanders undertaken by Tyrell on Richard's behalf late in 1484. And obviously there's been a lot of speculation about this. Was he meeting Auntie Margaret to organise the hiding away of the princes? And if so, and if he was tortured to get him to confess to killing the boys, why would he not say that they were just—they're in, in Flanders? Yes. Look, the same document also records that three thousand pounds was given to Tyrrell when he became governor of Guines. That's a lot Geins? of money. Am I still saying that the same way? Guines, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Well, it is a lot of money because it is the annual royal budget. Wow. Yeah, it's far too much just to pay the garrison. Yeah. And it's quite possible that it had nothing to do with the princes, although lots of people say it. Probably, it is definitely to do with the princes. Maybe yeah. it was used to capture Henry Tudor, who was thought to be holed up in Brittany, and bring him back to England. In fact, he'd already fled to France by that point. But Richard may not have known that.
1: Wow, this is I. Uh, mysteries <laughs> are fun, but only if at the end you get an answer.
0: Yes, and you're <laughs> not going to get the answer <laughs> We're with this. Not <laughs> The first mention of a confession wasn't until 1513 in Thomas More's *The History of King Richard III*, in which More says that it was his chief source on the subject. Okay. Quote, Very true, it is, and well known that at such time as Sir James Tyrrell was in the Tower, for treason committed against the most famous Prince Henry the Seventh, both Dighton and he were examined and confessed the murder in manner above written. But whither the bodies were removed, they could nothing tell, unquote. And Dyton is John Dyton, supposedly Tyrrell's accomplice.
1: Darn it. Somebody give us an answer that's true.
0: <laughs> but Dyton was never arrested. And Moore went on to admit that Dyton was a free man at the time when he was writing his history.
1: I want them to exhume the skeletons of the two boys that they found during Charles. Was it Charles I or Charles the I think it's Charles the I. And do a DNA test. Why don't they? I don't know why they don't. They Mm. did it for Richard.
0: Yeah. To confirm that he was Richard. Hmm. Moore's description of the event is very detailed. Richard was heading up to Gloucester when it suddenly occurred to him that killing the princes would stop any talk of them having a right to the throne. So he sends John Green, his page, to Sir Robert Brackenbury, who was constable of the tower, with a letter saying... Just kill the princes for me, would you? Uh. And Brackenbury apparently said, no. (laughs) I wouldn't either. (laughs) I'm not insane. (laughs) So Green rode back to Richard, who was still on his way to Gloucester, and told him the bad news, to which Richard says, Ah, whom shall a man trust? Those that I have brought up myself, those that I have thought would be most surely to serve me, even these fail me, and at my commandment will do nothing for me. There's an awful lot of conversations that can't possibly have happened in uh, Thomas More. Uh. Green replies, quote, Sir, there lies one outside in your breadchambers, who, I dare well say, to your grace's pleasure, the thing were right hard that he would refuse. Meaning by this, Sir James Tyrrell, who is a man of right goodly personage and for nature's gifts worthy to have served a much better prince, unquote. And that last bit was Moore's authorial voice. <laughs> Just to make Richard look more ridiculous, Moore has the conversation with the page taking place while Richard's sitting on the loo.
1: Mm. Why, it, why is... It... You don't think of Thomas Moore as a fiction writer.
0: Mm. Well, according to him, he's got all this from the confession. Liar. <laughs> Well, we don't well, know.
1: <laughs> either he's lying or the confession is a lie. But you can't be that—you can't be that perfect on recall of conversations. It just
0: ah, uh, the conversations that—that's just that was allowable at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, we don't do it now, but they certainly did it. And but uh, I think more seem to do it more than, um, well, certainly, Andre huh. and presumably Virgil. Moore says that Tyrrell agreed to do it because he wanted to rise higher. What better way to do that than to do the king's dirty deeds?
1: Hmm. I don't know. Me, personally, I wouldn't do it because sooner or later he's going to want to silence you to
0: ensure you never speak. Oh, right. That's the reason you wouldn't do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If I were him, I wouldn't do the murder anyway. But if you were trying to rise higher, that's still not something that I would think is a good option.
0: Yes, you might think you've got something over on the king, mightn't you? You've got his his dirty secret, but he's got a lot more on you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. It, More carries on. Richard went to look for Tyrrell in his bedchamber, where he was with his son Thomas, quote, And coming up, Sir James revealed to him secretly his mind in this mischievous matter in which he found him nothing unfriendly, unquote. Hmm. So he's agreeing to do it. Moore, however, claims that Tyrrell didn't actually do the deed. Quote, Miles Forrest and John Dighton, about midnight, the innocent children lying in their beds, came into the chamber and suddenly lapped them up in their bedclothes, so bewrapped them and entangled them, keeping down by force the feather bed and pillows hard unto their mouths, that within a while, smothered and stifled, their breath failing, they gave up to God their innocent souls, into the joys of heaven. That's such a sad statement. But well, it's quite a sad thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Leaving to the tormentors their bodies dead in the bed, which after that the wretches perceived, first by the struggling with the pains of death and after long lying still to be thoroughly dead, they laid their bodies naked out on the bed and fetched Sir James to see them, who upon the sight of them caused those murderers to bury them at the stair foot suitably deep in the ground under a great heap of stones, mm. So we've got the Tyrol actually being there, not actually doing the deed, and the children being buried at the bottom of the stairs. Moore mm. got these, all this detail from the confession, he said. Yet, of the other historians, neither Polydor Virgil nor Bernard André mentioned Tyrol's confession. So it didn't happen. <laughs> If Bernard Andre didn't know, it didn't happen. (laughs) And Francis Bacon, writing in 1622, said that Henry claimed that Tyrrell had confessed, which is very different from saying that Tyrrell had confessed.
1: Very, very different.
0: But I don't even know whether Henry claimed that Tyrrell had confessed. It would make sense for Henry to say that someone had confessed since he had Ferdinand and Isabella breathing down his neck, worrying about the safety of Henry's throne.
1: Right, and then if you've got this person who's already killed princes is now dead, that's
0: one less mm. threat. But and also he's saying, look, it's okay. I I know they're dead. I I found who's done it. Right, they're not going to pop up again. Right, and if they do, they're not the people they say they are. hmm It's also been suggested that Tyrrell was working for Henry, and that he had killed the princes, but on Henry's orders. Then, when Tyrrell allowed Edmund de la Pole to stay at Geens, Henry saw his chance to dispose of Tyrrell and shut him up for good. It might explain why Henry and Elizabeth attended the trial, if indeed they did, and it might have been to make sure that Tyrrell didn't squeal. But he was going to be beheaded anyway. I hardly think the presence of Henry was going to, make, going to intimidate him that much. No. I, I put it in because it's a theory that quite a lot of people hold. Yeah, but. I it seems don't know. unlikely. To finish, Shakespeare, in Rich the third, the play, the king asks tyrrell to murder the princes at his coronation. I mean, he asks him at the coronation. He <laughs> him to murder him at the coronation? That would be a Blood bit of a giveaway. Sacrifice. <laughs> 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 and they appear to be meeting for the first time, although in reality they've known each other for years. Yeah. We then see Tyrell just after the crime has been committed and he seems to be having one or two regrets. Quote, the tyrannous and bloody deed is done, the most arch act of p- piteous massacre that ever yet this land was guilty of. Unquote. And he then goes on to say that Dighton and, and the other characters called Forrest, although they were villains and bloody dogs, quote, melting with tenderness and kind compassion, wept like two children. Unquote. Then don't do it. It's too late, they've done it. Ugh. Too late for that. So that was the real apocryphal or somewhere in between life of James Tyrrell. <laughs> <laughs> you did so, much. so what is your take on it? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, say say it up front.
1: <laughs> it just sounds like a whole bunch of people are just trying to close the book on something, but they have no idea. And this person's dead. They can't argue anymore. It's his fault. He did it.
0: Thomas More is meant to be a very virtuous person, isn't he? He he, also... he stood out, out against what he felt was wrong with Henry VIII. To... But he also liked burning people at the stake and tortured people in his own home. Yes, yeah, yeah. But no. would he make up? Would he make up a confession that hadn't happened? Sure, I'm not. I'm not saying he, I'm not. I sounded incredulous then, but I was. I'm, play, I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't know, so I'm.
1: You know, for his portrayal in every single episode of every Tudor production you see, he's like this gentle man. He was not gentle. The more yes. I read about him, the more I was disgusted.
0: He's played by Anton Lesser in Wolf Hall and. I mean, yes, a man with a very gentle voice. Yes. Yeah. No. No,
1: not mm. a not a gentle man. Not not a nice person. Nice try. <laughs> yeah. It does
0: seem an odd thing to make up a confession, and make it so involved. Yes. And rather just than just saying he killed them, and he he's dead, and all the business about them him burying them at the foot of the stairs when that's where they were found. Yes. Indeed, it's them.
1: Yes. But then he also said in his confession that he later moved them.
0: Yes. But he didn't know where. No. Somebody moved them. Hmm. Hmm. Bull poop. Well, that's that sorted then. (laughs) 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 Well, people have been been trying to work this out for years and we seem to have done it (laughs) on 30 minute podcast <laughs> ah. <laughs> I don't know I'm, I'm not gonna I'm trying not to fall on one side or the other with this Richard Prince's thing because no. well for a start we're lady you know, so many listeners
1: <laughs> <laughs> first we need them to do a DNA test to find out if those two skeletons were boys from the tower well yeah they could figure out if they were young men I think Looking at the chromosomes, but they could at least say whether or not they were related to Elizabeth of York Mm. because we have her body. True. Yeah. And we're 100% Uh, sure that that's her
0: body. Or is it?
1: Oh, don't do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It'd be nice if someone found the confession. Yeah. Where is it? Why do confessions disappear?
1: but then i wouldn't believe it anyway if it was under torture cuz i no. think people will say whatever you ask
0: just to get it to stop mm. so we got it sort of goes wheels within wheels did well, did was he was it ever even a thing this confession yes because it, that's not what he was being accused of he's being accused of treason with edmund
1: yeah so why would he bring that up
0: at all mm. weird
1: very weird Very convoluted. Mm.
0: And I want an answer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm not going to get one, but I want one.
0: Yeah, quite a few times they're doing this. I thought, oh, God, here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) I did four episodes on Perkin Warbeck. I don't need to do this again. (laughs) Listeners,
1: please (sighs) petition the British court to DNA test the two boys.
0: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Please put us out of our misery. Otherwise, we'll just have to go through all this again. Yes, exactly. Somebody else. So I hope you've enjoyed this mystifying and uh, inconclusive episode. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we would give you a conclusion if we had one. Sorry. Mm. Well, I thought you'd given them a conclusion. <laughs> I just don't have any faith in the confession. Mm. That's it.
0: And he was convenient. There are quite a lot of mistakes in the history of Richard III. Mm-hmm. Including the length of Edward IV's reign, yes, and various things which which would be quite easy to look up, I'd have thought. Yeah, because he's very specific. He takes it down to the day. He says <laughs> so and so number of years, months, oh. weeks, day, and then gets it wrong. Oops. <laughs> but there's a difference between getting facts wrong and making up an entire confession. Yes,
1: it's a fabrication.
0: Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I read. Things I read of sources which were very much for and very much against. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to sort of flower furrow straight down the middle. So we'll see you all next time. Next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>